Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. How the Middle East conflict has affected Starbucks Workers United. UAW strike. Now, day number 38. Sean Fain says, hang in there. We can do better. And today on the show, the iron workers on health and safety training and the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Monday, October 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Wayne Cressup is going to be our first guest on the show today. No stranger to America's workforce, although we have not had him on for a while. He's involved with the Iron Workers International Union on health and safety training. Great guy. Very dedicated. Very passionate to this issue. Ironworkers.org, the national website. And uh, we're going to talk about the uh, deadly dozen the deadly dozen activities and hazards. And let me go back a couple years here. Eric Dean, who is the general president of the Iron Workers, announced a campaign in 2021. It was titled See Something, Say Something. And it was pretty much a recommitment to his support to make sure that there are zero fatalities on the job. Eric writes, for many decades, common hazards have been the primary causation factors for fatalities and serious incidents. Our focus on the deadly dozen hazardous activities will continue. And campaign materials are available to district councils, local unions, apprenticeship training facilities, including hard hat stickers, gang box stickers, emphasizing the importance of recognizing and avoiding workplace hazards in the shop as well as the field. Now, some of the uh, deadly dozen activities and hazards. Number one, falls through unprotected or inadequate floor opening covers, collapse of unsecured open web steel joists, falls during the installation of floor and roof decking, lack of fall protection, inadequate use of fall arrest equipment, structural collapse, of unsupported reinforcing steel columns, walls, and decks, electrical hazards and injuries from high-voltage power lines, and then there's heat illness, toxic exposure to chemicals, airborne contaminants. Just any of these, any of these in an instant can create a fall, a fall that could be deadly. And uh, Wayne, as I indicated, is so dedicated to safety training. In fact, Tomorrow, he's going to be in Buffalo, New York, to pretty much lead some uh, pilot classes on uh, teaching foremen fall protection. And they're working with a company on fall protection. He's going to explain all of this on the show to us. Later in the show, we're going to go to uh, Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, ttd.org is their website. Rail safety, sick leave, number one uh, issue here. And all this is a follow-up to what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, on February 3rd of this year. 
when a Norfolk Southern train derailed and 11 tank cars carrying hazardous materials left the tracks. And that community has been digging out ever since. And sadly, there are train derailments going on every day. Maybe not as serious as what happened in East Palestine, Ohio. But this Rail Safety Act of 2023 does have bipartisan support, but they need to get it over the finish line. And essentially, I'll just run down a couple of the elements of what the bill does. It enhances safety procedures for all trains carrying hazardous materials, like I just talked about. Preventing wheel-bearing failures. The National Transportation Safety Board determined a wheel-bearing was in the final stage of what they call overheat failure before that crash in East Palestine. In order to address wheel-bearing issues and other mechanical failures, the legislation establishes requirements for the installation, maintenance, and placement of wayside detectors, which are automated devices located on the side of the tracks that monitor passing trains. Makes sense. Have that monitor goes off. Maybe we should slow down, don't you think? Requiring two-person crews. That's an issue that's been batted back and forth for a number of years. Making rail carriers pay for their wrongdoing. It's important if a mistake happens and the rail company is probably aware of it because, you know, they're pushing it. They're pushing it to the limit. Long hours, lack of maintenance. And then when something happens, you get a slap on the wrist. The legislation reads, too often, corporations treat civil penalties for actions that harm workers in communities as the cost of doing business. Well, this bill increases the maximum fine that the government can issue for safety violations from $225,000 to 1% of the railroad's annual operating income. Wow, <laughs> that could be pretty large. Whoa. Well, there is more to it. Greg Regan will talk about that. He's also going to talk about his visit to the Culinary Union 226, their headquarters in Las Vegas. They're on strike. We'll talk about that. And also the FAA administrator nominee. So lots to talk about with Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Now, Brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Starbucks has filed a trademark suit against Starbucks Workers United, the union representing its workers at approximately 360 stores for using the company's name, logos, and intellectual property to express support for Palestine on social media. Restating allegations first raised in a cease and desist letter last week, the company claims that the union's use of Starbucks IP has created a false perception that the company supports violence against civilians. Well, in response, the union has filed its own defamation lawsuit against Starbucks, asserting that the company has implied that the union supports violence and terrorism as part of a transparent effort to exploit the going tragedy in the Middle East to harm the union's representation. Now, Starbucks claims that the union's use of its trademarks has led to calls for a boycott, public officials denouncing the company, customer complaints, and vandalism at one of its coffee shops. And the suit 
The suits form part of a recent trend of company union trademark disputes that have included Trader Joe's and the Medieval Times. Starbucks trademark lawsuit appears to hinge on a single post by Starbucks Workers United on X that stated solidarity with Palestine, which the union notes was unauthorized and deleted after about 30 minutes. Now, no post by the union or its local affiliates appeared to express support for Hamas or violence against civilians. Boy, <laughs> you have to be so careful today on what you post because it can become viral in moments and cause an disruption just like we talked about with Starbucks here. Let's talk about the UAW strike, which is now in day number 38. On Friday, President Sean Fain said while Detroit's automakers have increased their wage and benefit offers, he believes the union can gain more if it holds out longer in contract talks. In a Facebook Live appearance, Fain did not announce any more factories to add to those that have been on strike, but he warned that the UAW could announce such an expansion of its strikes at any time, depending on how much progress they make at the bargaining table. Uh, he said last week, Stellantis and GM have made wage offers that match Ford's 23% over the life of a four-year contract. But he insisted that the companies can go further. As he put it, we've got cards left to play and they got money to spend. Arguing that Ford pretends they can't afford what we're asking for, he noted that the company has complained about the union's walkout at the Kentucky truck plant in Louisville, which has shut the plant down, which is the largest and most profitable Ford factory in the world. Though Fain said the UAW will make an aggressive push to secure better contract offers, he contended that the companies are trying to divide union members, and this is what he said. They just want to wait us out. They want to divide. They want fear. And they want uncertainty. What we have is solidarity. That's Sean Fain. Now, while the companies keep touting that they have made record offers to the UAW, Fain said they are insufficient to make up for how much ground workers have lost during the past two decades. Every time the automakers make an offer, he said, they insist it's the best they can do, only to return later with a better offer. So what should that tell you? They got room to move. In a statement, GM said it made an offer Friday with substantial movement in all key areas in an effort to reach a final agreement with the UAW and get everybody back to work. The company says the offer raises pay for most of the workforce to $40.39 per hour or about $84,000 per year by the end of a four-year contract. That, by the way, is a 23% increase over the $32.32 per hour that most factory workers make. company also said that it reinstated cost-of-living raises for many employees in the first year of the contract. GM previously had offered to contribute 8% of a worker's salary into 401k defined contribution plans. Stephen McCray, one of the striking GM workers, this is at a factory in Wentzville, Missouri, near St. Louis, said the company's latest offer seems to be good, 
but he's suspicious that GM will wait a year to give cost of living increases. He's a former temp worker. He's concerned that part-time temps won't be converted to full-time in the deal. And that said, McRae thinks workers will ratify the contract because of the raises, cost of living, pay, and other benefits if Fain tells workers that this is the best deal he could get. But it doesn't seem to be going in that direction. So we'll see what happens in the next week or so. All right, quick break. When we come back, Iron Workers on health and safety. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to line number one. Welcome a guy we've had on the show a number of times. His name is Wayne Cressup. He's been uh, working with the Iron Workers International Union for about five years now. And we're going to talk about uh, health and safety training. So important, so important. There's the uh, dirty dozen activities and hazards. And as I indicated at the top of the show, General President Eric Dean started a campaign some years ago, the Zero, Zero Fatality Campaign. If you see something, say something. So we figured we'd bring uh, Wayne to the uh, broadcast and the podcast today to fill us in on how we're doing with that wayne how we doing my brother what's happening with you hey great to be on flash thank you brother appreciate the opportunity to be on the show again and uh always uh, a pleasure to get to chat with you sir and we are still recording the show at the great iron workers local 17 in cleveland <laughs> ohio which is which is part of the great lakes district council of iron workers they uh, signed on 
as a, as a one of our many sponsors here. So a good group of people here. Rich Jordan says hi. And I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm across the door from Eddie Mulhan. And Eddie was showing me some work that they're doing at Progressive Field. And uh, just to fill you in, too, the topping off ceremony at the new Sherwin-Williams complex will be in mid-December. And that's, you know what, we're going to do a show on that. And I, you know what? The date, I'm going to try to make it to it, but I get, have you been to some of these topping off ceremonies? I, I understand they're, they're pretty, they're pretty mo- emotional, aren't they? Absolutely. It's a great way to celebrate the, uh, the construction of a building, the final piece of, uh, of steel going into the building, and they put the American flag and the Christmas tree up, and it's a, it's a wonderful celebration as that last connection is made. Uh, it's something you definitely flash. You definitely want to be a part of and to get to see. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing that show when they talk about the history and, and what it means and, and being able to, uh, to take that celebration of that, uh, of that project. And you think about that, that's at the top of the building and you, you know, when you have that topping off ceremony, the other part of the celebration is the fact that nobody got injured on the job, no falls. And that's exactly what we want to talk about on this this campaign here so this uh this deadly dozen activities and hazards one of them is fall protection and it's so important and i know this is covered very very well when it comes to the apprenticeship programs that the iron workers do around the country as well as canada uh i'd like to get your take on this are, are we are we moving in the right direction here how, how, how do you feel about that yeah, we are absolutely moving in the right direction. Now, you know, part of the Countdown to Zero campaign over the years has been trying to reduce the number of ironworker fatalities on the job and injuries on the job uh, to, to zero. And uh, the part of that goal was to have be able to go an entire calendar year without having any ironworkers in the U.S. and Canada suffer from a job uh, fatality. Uh, unfortunately, we've been able. Unfortunately, we've not been able to to go an entire calendar year. Uh, however, we've been able to string 12 months together, just not an entire 12 calendar, you know, 12 month calendar year, um, with with being able to have zero fatalities. It's uh, it, but uh, compared to how things used to be years and years ago, uh, it is tremendously, tremendously improved. There's been a lot of safety improvements, a lot of process, procedural improvements that have been made over the years, uh, and, and there's been more buy-in with, uh, with managing and running you know, job sites where safety is at the forefront. And so we've been, uh, you know, we've been continuing to push to that, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to you know, kind of hit that start and, uh, and continue to push forward with, with raising that level of awareness. And in that campaign, as you mentioned, Flash, that deadly dozen – there's uh, there's 12 hazards that our field iron workers tend to to face when they're working on the job site that you know usually affect them uh, when we were working you know whether it's uh, from working at height or exposure to different uh, chemicals or welding fume or other hazards on the job site and those seem to kind of always repeat themselves so they we kind of keep them at the forefront as our deadly dozen but if you really look at our list. Uh, I, almost half of those deadly dozen hazards are all related to working at height. And mm-hmm. so, you know, height is always something that we deal with as iron workers, and therefore, uh, you know, there's not uh, sky hooks available to, to have good anchorages to tie off to. And so uh, fall protection becomes a very big issue, a salient issue for our industry 
in protecting our workers while they're working at height. So uh, unfortunately, a lot of times it comes as a last resort, which means going to personal protective equipment, utilizing a personal fall arrest system. Uh, and so, you know, that requires having a harness and making sure you have the right lanyard and having an anchorage point that's going to be able to support somebody in the event of a fall. And then at the, at the end of it, we also, if we're wearing that stuff, then we have to be able to answer the question, how are you going to get somebody down if they do fall? And that's what's always so special about, you know, when you go back to that topping out ceremony and not having anybody get hurt or killed on the job, uh, you know, those are the higher up you go, the, the more difficult it is to have plans or programs in place to be able to rescue someone if they happen to fall and they're hanging up there off the side of the building. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you happen to see, uh, you know, world news, but uh, down in Brazil uh, last week, there was a, uh, a scaffold collapse and there was a bunch of workers that were hanging off of that structure. And I don't know all the details of it, but I can only imagine how terrifying that would be to be hanging up there 500 feet above the ground uh, uh, waiting and wondering how you're going to get somebody down. And fortunately, they were able to rescue a lot of the workers off of there by swinging. I think they swung a tower crane around to pick them off of the building. And uh, again, you know, are there good plans in place? So it's a, it's a special thing for us to, to try to bring those hazards to light and make sure that people are aware of what's going on. And one of the other things that we do with this, Flash, is we have a, uh, we, we have a number of training partners. You mentioned training. We do a lot of training. And one that we've been working on here lately is a, uh, a fall protection pilot that's geared toward our foremen and supervisors. We've partnered with companies like the 3M Personal Safety Division and FallTech to try to deliver this training program to basically help educate our foremen and supervisors what their roles are as a supervisor in, in providing fall protection and understanding the fall protection equipment that's available on the market and using it safely uh, and making sure that their member, our members are able to use it safely on the job. So uh, it, it kind of is a twofold. One, it gives them that opportunity to understand what their role is because, again, we have a lot of young people that are coming up now. They move into the role of a foreman, and they don't realize that in that role they actually technically, in the eyes of OSHA and the National Labor Relations Board, are representing their employer. And so uh, we try to get them to understand that role. And then uh, as a management representative, then they're the ones that are responsible for helping to train and make sure that our workers, our members, have the right equipment and are using it correctly on the job site and making those corrections then if they need to. So we're really good at doing a lot of the ironworking side of it. And sometimes uh, the safety side, uh, we are also really, really good at, but we have uh, opportunities for improvement there. And so uh, the other side of that, then, making sure that those foremen are aware of some of the new products that are available on the market. So actually this week I'm going to be in Buffalo uh, helping to do a couple of pilot classes up there with uh, Ironworkers Local 6. And uh, looking forward to being up there with, with those folks and, uh, and conducting this training and making sure that uh, there's, a, again, raising that level of awareness for our supervisors on the job. Well, if you would be so kind, when you're done with that uh, pilot program, get me some names over there at Local 6. We'll get them on the show here and, and talk about the, uh, the form and fall protection pilot program. Now, did you, did you design this program or do you have a team of people that worked on this? Yeah, we have a team of people. Our safety department, uh, our, our executive director of safety and health, Steve Rank, uh, our Canadian safety coordinator, Jeff Norris, myself, and uh, we have an admin in Chicago, Christy Rose, 
uh, who uh, has helped kind of collaborate with this. And then we work again with our uh, product specialists, the, the manufacturers reps with uh, 3M Personal Safety Division, and then also with uh, a company named Falltech that uh, also manufactures personal fall arrest equipment. So in a way, they're competitors. But uh, we like to try to get as many of the different manufacturers to the table to help us because there's, you know, different different products that are made by those different manufacturers that that are all, you know, relative to to being used in our in our uh, safety and training programs, and and it's what our our contractors use. So you know, our contractors are not always geared toward. You know, they might have certain, you know, desires to use one company or an, another product from another company. And so we're trying to be representative of what's really going on in the industry of what our what our contractors use. Uh, Falltech, actually, in our partnership with Falltech, uh, they've been working with us on putting together a specific anchor for iron workers, which is a, a special D-ring that has a hole in it that uh, if we collaborate with our fabricators, we can actually uh, have holes punched, pre-punched in columns at the fabrication level in the shop uh, to where uh, we can actually put these anchorages in on a building and have kind of built-in fall protection ready to go for us as we erect the structure. And what's neat about that is it kind of gets into a thing called prevention through design. And if we're able to design out a lot of the hazards as the building is going up or before the building actually goes up, we're able to kind of focus on on those elements. And what's neat about it is that stuff is already there and it can stay in place throughout the entire erection of the building and potentially remain in place during the life cycle of that building. So once it's been built and then eventually as there's any retrofits that need to be done, those systems can still be utilized. So for people that are doing maintenance, such as you know having to change out light bulbs or having to do other type of work, working on the ventilation system in the, in the building, they could also utilize those same systems because they're there for that entire life cycle of the building. Uh, so it's something that uh, we'd like to see more of. And it, and it, but it requires more collaboration with our architects and engineers as well as our fabricators uh, working with our erectors on putting these things in place. And, and it's, again, a lot of communication, a lot of pre-planning. Wayne, that's a great idea. So the design of the building, the structure of the building can be made in a way to help the worker and prevent a fall when they're building it and when they have to maintain that building. That's fam fantastic stuff there. Wayne Cressup joining us on our live line today. He's with the Ironworkers International. Ironworkers.org is the uh, national website, and he deals with health and safety training. And as he indicated, he's going to be in Buffalo tomorrow to do these pilot classes. More to come from Wayne later in the show. We're going to check in with Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today, 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Wayne Cressup. Wayne is with the Ironworkers International Union, ironworkers.org. We're talking about health and safety training, especially safety today, and what has happened over the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, the president of the Ironworkers, Eric Dean, started a campaign called Zero Fatality. Zero Fatality, and it was engaging members. If you see something, say something. Speak up and make sure that uh, an, a potential accident doesn't actually happen. And if you go to the Ironworkers uh, National website, you can read about the deadly dozen activities and hazards. They also have the Shopman Safety and Health Campaign to target the deadly dozen hazards. And uh, Wayne is going to be in Buffalo tomorrow, and he's meeting with the foreman on a fa- on fall protection, and they have a pilot program. I have to ask you, um, first of all, is this the first that you've done, and why Buffalo? Are, are, they, are the locals reaching out? Has there been incidents they need help on? What's what's the story on that, Wayne? Yeah, uh, so, Flash, part of part of what we've been doing with this pilot program is trying to trying to feel our way a little bit to figure out the best way on, on best approaches to educate our members and our foremen uh, on fall protection and share with some of the latest and greatest products. So this has been a, an ongoing effort. We had started working on it. Unfortunately, the pandemic kind of threw us out of, out of rhythm with it, and we weren't able to get out to as many places as we would have liked. And uh, what we're, we're doing now is we've, been, we've done a number of different pilot courses throughout the United States and Canada uh, to, to test it, see what we have. And right now it's about a four-hour course, kind of goes through the roles and responsibilities of the foreman, and then, uh, and then gets into the actual equipment, the use, and being able to, to get out actually physically on a structure. So that's one of the other unique things about this course is that, you know, using our uh, JTCs, our Joint Apprenticeship Training Centers, uh, they ha- a lot of these around North America have a training structure on in them or on them on those locations, 
that we can put this equipment up and try it out and people can actually not only sit in the classroom but then actually walk out of the classroom and do hands-on practical training with this equipment and touch it, feel it, try it, see how it works and see, uh, think of ways on how it would best work for them. So unfortunately, we've had some situations where uh, in certain areas, we've had some instances where people were uh, hurt or killed. And uh, as a result, uh, they had reached out first uh, looking for support and we brought the training to, to their location. And so uh, we, like I said, we've done a number of these different classes, and and uh, and a lot of times it's at the request of our district councils and their contractors collaborating and wanting to to bring it to their local area. So once this gets once this uh, was announced through the international, uh, we've had a flood of calls coming in, and then it was just trying to prioritize getting to these different locations. And uh, a lot of these structures, Flash, are outdoors. And uh, that also presents challenges because you want to try to do it. You know, I know iron workers, we're not always working in ideal conditions and on the job. But when conducting training, we were trying to pick locations that either allowed us to be indoors or allowed us to be uh, in areas where the weather was maybe a little more stable, where we could actually do the training in a little better conditions since it is in a, a training environment. So, uh, so Buffalo uh, was selected, and we tried to do the fall. We thought that might be a little better time of year than doing February in Buffalo and trying to chip through a bunch of ice and snow uh, to get on a structure. Uh, and actually, we did the class... Uh, We'd actually did five classes at Local 55 in Toledo, Ohio, a couple of years ago. And what was really cool about that is they actually rented out part of the Seagate Convention Center and brought their training structure to the Seagate Convention Center and erected it under roof in the convention center where we were able to do all of the training in a nice enclosed environment. And it was rainy and crummy outside, and we were able to do the hands-on training in a nice, dry uh, relatively warm environment in that training and that uh, convention center, and be able to uh, to have a good experience in there to keep it in a, a controlled environment. So, uh, yeah. so that's kind of why we've been moving it around. Yep, I, I get it. As far as uh, training in Buffalo, maybe January, February, where the snow is probably just as tall as the building, <laughs> because they get the, they get their share of snow there. No doubt about that. You know, uh, Wayne, I was looking at the the deadly dozen activities here, and number twelve. If we could speak to that heat illness and toxic exposure to chemicals and airborne contaminants, I'd like to zero in on heat illness because, as you know, it was a really, really hot summer this past summer, and many are saying it's going to continue that way. I'm just wondering how that affects the iron worker because that it it's got to be pretty darn hot when you're when you're climbing those tall buildings, and obviously. That has to be addressed in some of the training that's being done. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely, it has to be addressed. And, and heat illness, just on its own merit, uh, is something that needs to be addressed. And we need to bring a level of awareness to our, our members and our contractors in, in uh, making sure that we have protections in place for it. I mean, one, in certain parts of the country, it's just hot. Uh, and, and you run into situations where just touching the iron is hot. Uh, and and so you're you're doing different things to schedule your work at different work hours that maybe uh, you know are at, at nighttime or early morning uh, to where you're knocking off maybe a little bit early because the heat of the day comes on and uh, it's just too darn hot to be able to perform that work. So uh, as you as I'm sure you're aware, Flash, you know OSHA put together a a heat emphasis campaign a, a, a year and a half ago or a couple of years ago now. 
Uh, even though they don't have a federal OSHA standard on heat illness at this point, they've been working on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's something that is, has been very, very uh, near and dear to the iron workers because we're, you know, again, we're working in all sorts of different hot environments. And that emphasis program basically was a combined heat and humidity of 80 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. Uh, an employer has to have some sort of a heat illness uh, program in place. And uh, and so that's something that and that doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. You have to have that. So we're trying to raise that level of awareness to educate our contractors and our members to, to have something in place. And, and a part of that also is, you know, we have a lot of people that are new coming into the industry and you go out and, you know, and working right on the in the heat of the day. Uh, they need some time to acclimatize to those working conditions. So we need to be aware of that and bring them in so that they're able to get their body adjusted to work at those temperatures. Because when your body's core temperature starts to increase, uh, then, uh, you know, the body's going to do what it can to start shutting itself down to try to preserve itself. And unfortunately, it, uh, it can be life-threatening if, if not caught soon enough. So sure. certainly raising that level of awareness. Wayne, I know you've been involved with the union contractors many, many years now, and I would like you to speak to labor and management. And uh, the the iron workers have a, a great website, too, I want to call everyone's attention to. It's the Impact website, impact.net.org. And this is more or less a labor management type of trust. And we I know the heat and frost insulators do this very, very well, too, because they're, you, you, you got to work together. You got to work together for the common good. And many times there's an adversarial relationship between the union and management. I mean, we're seeing that in so many, I mean, look what's going on with the auto workers right now, but you know, they are gaining ground. That's another story. But Wayne, can you speak to that and the importance of working together for the common goal? And today we're talking about job safety. We're talking about falls. Can you, can you address that? Absolutely. So uh, a couple of things, Flash. So, so I, I had the privilege of starting my career in Cleveland, Ohio, working for a couple of local contractors associations, the Mechanical and Plumbing Industry Council, and then uh, later on the Construction Employers Association of Cleveland. And again, that was all, you know, labor management, very, very cooperative and working among them locally. And then I uh, moved on to the Association of Union Constructors and the National Maintenance Agreements Policy Committee in Arlington, Virginia, uh, again, at a national level, working under the, uh, you know, the terms of the National Maintenance Agreements as their safety and health uh, representative, and then uh, talk as their senior director of environmental health and safety for the Association of Union Constructors before joining the Ironworkers. So I've, I've had almost 25 years in association management before joining the Ironworkers, and, uh, and this is just an extension of that. And as you mentioned, IMPACT is another labor management tool that uh, is available uh, to help bring our contractors and our unions, uh, lo- you know, our ironworkers local unions together uh, to the table to talk about different industry uh, issues. You know, and that's not only just the workforce and the development of the workforce and, and uh, other issues that may happen on the job, but it also includes safety and health. And so, as you mentioned, Impact is a, is a big provider in that, and that's one of the benefits of working with the ironworkers is that our funding for the safety department is done through Impact, which then, as a labor management cooperative trust, allows us the flexibility to be able to not only serve our ironworker members, our brothers and sisters in the ironworkers unions, but also our signatory employers. 
and then um, and as not only are those employers but also in some cases our owners may need some additional help in working with the union so uh, that allows us that flexibility uh, it's it's you know we are pretty fortunate in our industry that uh, you know we may not always agree on the best way to get there uh, but when it comes to safety and health uh, everybody is willing to share and uh, usually uh, we have a pretty collaborative effort in in working together to uh, try to reduce injuries and illnesses on the job. Obviously, it not only helps our members, we don't, you know, obviously don't want our members to get hurt, but our contractors don't want our members to get hurt either because, again, it means they have to find other people to be able to do the work, uh, which is getting harder and harder to do these days. Uh, and the other part of that is, is if those contractors have uh, a lot of injuries, their incident rates go up, and then they're not able to bid on future work. You know, it takes them out of the market as being competitive because they're not seen as being a safe employer. So uh, th- there's definitely uh, benefit on both sides there, and we are pretty blessed in the union construction industry uh, to have those relationships with our employers where most of the time we're all on the same page in collaboration uh, with uh, with safety and health issues. And that's what we want. You go into in work in the morning, you want to make sure you come home at the end of the day. You know, Flash, you know, one of the things that we have, I mean, this is, you know, we're getting into the Halloween season, right? You know, and there's a lot of scary stories that you hear out there. And unfortunately, uh-huh. as us uh, safety people are out there, you know, we have uh, scary stories too. Unfortunately, those scary stories are true, and they are with real-life human beings that have suffered some horrific incidents on the job. And so when we talk about things and we throw out numbers and statistics, we also have to step back and realize that each one of those numbers is a human being. And they have, you know, a father or a son or a sister or a daughter, a mother, uh, and or a neighbor, and uh, and all of a sudden, if somebody's not there anymore, that has a devastating impact on that family, on the job, and on their coworkers. So, uh, we need to keep those things in mind as we as we push forward here. And I think uh, that's what I'm I'm blessed with being in this industry for as long as I have to be able to try to help share that passion and uh, drive that uh, the safety uh, message to our to our members and also to our contractors. Well, Wayne, the iron workers are certainly fortunate to have someone like you on the job dealing with uh, safety training. Very, very important. That is job number one. Ironworkers.org, the national website, and that labor management uh, trust is impact-net.org. You take care, brother. Make sure you uh, you give me that contact for Local 6 over there in Buffalo so we can do a follow-up, okay? You got it. Thanks, Flash. Appreciate you, brother. Stay safe. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Greg Regan, on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, 
The Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Washington, D.C., where there is still no Speaker of the House. Joining us is Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, ttd.org is your website and uh, we're going to talk about rail safety the rail safety act of 2023 and we've got some uh, bipartisan support greg regan where do we stand on this legislation i was reading some the, I mean, it's got some good components no doubt about that maybe you could uh, fill us in on uh, where we're going with it especially in the interesting times that make up washington today go ahead brother well thank you um Look, we, we uh, you know we have we have a bill that was passed out of the committee, the Senate Commerce Committee, that is just waiting for action on the House on the Senate floor. Um, it's not a perfect bill. It's something that does have, as you noted, a lot of really good pieces to it, uh, and it would make some major improvements to the to the uh, railroad industry. And you know we are just waiting to get uh, you know we need sixty votes. So we need, I think right now we're at fifty eight or fifty nine. Votes, so we need one or two more Republicans to finally, uh, you know, commit with their conscience and not their, um, you know, their PAC uh, balance sheet and and vote for it. Can I ask you if Joe Manchin is on board because he seems to be a stick in the mud on a lot of a lot of good legislation here? Is he on board? He is, yes. And you know, I think like, he's got a lot of. There's a lot of railroading is important in West Virginia, and you know those these. As we saw in East Palestine, as we see in uh, North Platte, you know, these are these railroads go through a lot of towns, big and small, all across the country, and the consequences when something goes wrong are pretty severe. So I think, um, you know, regardless of where you're from, I think a lot more people are aware of what the consequences are now. So this is not perfect. No bill is perfect, but it's got some good things. Can you uh, can you speak to some of those or some of the things that you that you don't like? What what's what's calling your attention right now, Greg? Yeah. So obviously the crew size, the uh, requirement, making sure there are two crew members, a one qualified engineer, one qualified conductor on every train. Um, that is something we've been fighting for for a long time. That's in this bill. Uh, there's also some requirements on inspections so inspection times for rail cars and and making sure that, that you have the right qualified people doing the inspections so that you know right now 
uh, if you look, especially the inspection times for rail cars, we're asking people, we're giving people like 45 seconds to inspect an entire rail car. And so you tell me how, how, how much you can really get in in 45 seconds on a, on a 30-foot locomotive on either, but with both sides. And that just doesn't make any sense. So setting no. minimum standards for all that stuff. And also setting standards for all of the, the you've probably heard of hot boxes or wayside detectors. Um, those are not real. There are no federal standards for how to utilize that technology. Uh, so this would set those standards. Who came up with 45 seconds? They couldn't even give a whole minute? What, what, what's the story on that? It, that's just, that, that's been drifting down for years. I mean, it's not, it's, it hasn't always been that way, but it's, you know, what the expectations are at this point. And I, I don't think that that 45 seconds is the, uh, you know, was written into code anywhere. It was basically, you know, that's a result, the average, that's the average inspection time. That's the result of pressures to, uh, turn things around as quickly as possible from the management side. Yeah, yeah. Keep the trains going no matter what. There was one uh, part in the uh, legislation, I was just wondering if it's still in there, making rail carriers pay for their wrongdoing. And right now, the bill increases the maximum fine that the DOT can issue for safety violations from $225,000 to 1% of the railroad's annual operating income, which could be a lot of money. Is, uh, is that still in the legislation or do they take that out? Uh, that's it. That's still in there. I mean, the, the bill itself hasn't been modified, uh, you know, since it passed out of the committee. So uh, that's still there. We're just we're just waiting for a vote. And of course, you know, hopefully we get get it through the Senate. And I I feel I, I still feel optimistic that we will. Um, but then we would need it to get through the House, and then the House they haven't even held a hearing on rail safety since East Palestine, and they haven't. Oh, no you know, taking any action in the community to move this thing. And, of course, now they don't have a speaker. So uh, that's a whole other, you know, like, ball game. <laughs> Jeez. See, I was under the assumption it passed the House and it's in the Senate, but it's the other way around on this one. Oh, that's so sad. So sad. All right, let's move on to the FAA administrator nominee, and I guess some nominees for Amtrak. We're making some progress on that. Is that right? Yes, we are. And, uh, you know, I, I expect that this week, We'll have a we'll have an FAA administrator, which would be, which is really necessary. It's it's important to have someone running the largest uh, one of the largest safety organizations in the world. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, but yeah. everything in Washington is held up. It doesn't matter who you are, whether it's a general, whether it's the head of. Well, look at the Labor Department. We don't have, we have an acting Labor Secretary right now because of the the politics going on right now. So. Hopefully that'll get through uh, this week here. Now I understand uh, you visited the culinary union that would be local 226 that went on strike in Las Vegas. This is big, I, and I would be of the assumption that a lot of a lot of it shut down right now. I don't know, but what's what's the story on that? So they're not they're not on strike quite yet. They've authorized their members have authorized to to go on strike, which is oh, okay. um, a really significant step, but. Uh, you know, I would expect that if there is not meaningful progress um, over the next couple of weeks, then we will start to see at least a date set uh, for when they would do it. But, you know, I think that the takeaway that I got, you know, I was there for a, for a, a train dispatchers convention and, um, and, you know, we knew that there was, 
this strike authorization vote had happened. We knew that the workers were, um, you know, fighting for a contract. So we, you know, wanted to talk to them, to that union, and find out where things were and learn more about it. And also, more importantly, make sure that there was no risk of me crossing the picket line when I flew out there for this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so they asked me, and it was a really helpful, informative meeting about sort of where things stand, what they're fighting for, what the conditions are. And honestly, to me, the, what they were talking about sounded so familiar. Um, you know, the fight that they have is so familiar to what the fight we had on the railroads uh, last year, uh, the fight you're seeing in the airline industry over and over again. Um, it's another example of sort of think corporate greed of people trying to take a look at what happened during the pandemic and use it uh, at, from a, from a corporate side, use it as an excuse to try to reset what the employment level should be. So um, essentially asking their, you know, asking people to do a whole lot more with a whole lot less um, yeah. and keeping, keeping employment levels sort of unnaturally suppressed and then making more money off of it. And I think people are fed up with that. Um, I mean, we're seeing it all across the country, and, and this is another example of it. You know, I got that confused with Detroit because they did go on strike in Detroit. Yeah. They went out on, yeah, and they uh, there's, I believe, three casinos there, two or three casinos, and they uh, they hit that pretty hard. And it, to your point, yeah, very pandemic-related because everything was shut down and uh, the workers took a hit during that time. And now these casinos, they're doing pretty darn well. They're doing very well. In fact, they're doing better than they were before the pandemic, but they don't want to share anything with the workers there. And you think about yeah. Vegas. I mean, just about every union convention goes to Vegas. Isn't that pretty much the case? <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately sometimes. But, um, but yeah, they, it is, I think their, their, their business, I mean, they're backed up. They're making record profits and... Uh, for that, the big casinos and, you know, their employment levels are, I think, at like 80% of what they were pre-pandemic. And I think they like it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Work them to death. That's pretty much what's going on. All right, Greg. Greg Regan, on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, ttd.org. Also, you can follow them on X, formerly known as Twitter, at ttd.afl-cio. You take care, brother, and uh, hopefully... Maybe next time we talk, we'll have a Speaker of the House. You never know. You never know, okay? We'll see. All right. Thanks, Les. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we have our independent labor voice, Tommy Buffenbarger, and a former political advisor to the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.